the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Oh, yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We're underway nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Monday. It's the 16th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And yes, it is an important day on the national calendar as we celebrate the civil rights of our country that were finally granted with the Civil Rights Act through extraordinary work done by leaders, civil rights leaders, like Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And Dr. King, of course, had earned this um, very special commemoration of his life and legacy, this national holiday. And it is one. And we're going to pay it its due respect today. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pay it double respect today because I've got some things to talk about this morning related to Dr. King and his well-known dream and a little bit on who is trying and working very, very hard to achieve that dream for him and for his legacy and who is in the way of that dream. Because believe it or not, people aren't working together to try to achieve the dream of a colorblind society, one in which, as the famous line goes, um, our children will be judged going forward as they become adults, is the obvious inference, 
by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. That dream uh, was was lauded at the time that it was announced, and really for several decades after, it was it was the gold standard. It was the goal. It was exactly what this country needs: national racial unity, large scale, big picture, macro level. Even though there will always be people who hate on both sides of the racial divide. And obviously we are not denying the existence of many other races and ethnicities when we talk about black and white, but we're talking about black and white today because we are talking about Dr. King and his fight for civil rights and equal rights for blacks and whites. But the reality of the situation is, for decades and decades and decades, everyone said that should be the goal to bring everybody together, but in the last decade or so, in the last several years, more specifically in the last three or four years, it has gotten much more loud and much more angry and much more virulent in its um, in its tone. There is a call for the exact opposite. The hell with Dr. Martin Luther King's dream. Colorblindness is the problem. Colorblindness is the enemy. We need to be color aware, not colorblind. We need to be color cognizant at all times. Recognize skin and judge people by its color. And like I said, there are always going to be individuals, even if you have a an otherwise larger, big picture, macro level, colorblind society. Yeah, there are going to be some white people who are just bigoted and they don't like black people. There are going to be some black people that are just bigoted and they don't like white people. And they call them crackers, comparing them to whip crackers and slave owners. And there's always going to be a level of hatred. There's going to be people who see them as white devils. There is going to be racial bigotry because we're human beings. And there are flaws in human beings. Some human beings are flawed in that way. Some people don't like different types of people, not even related to uh, their, their color of their skin or their ethnicity or their culture. There's always going to be bigotry. Bigotry is a human personality trait and oftentimes emotion. It's, it's one that we wish we didn't have, but people do. Talking about not we, you as an individual, but as humans, as a species, it's the reality of the situation. And it's not unique to America. Bigotry exists in European cultures. Bigotry exists in African cultures. It exists in Latin American cultures. It exists in Asian cultures. Intra-Asian bigotry exists. Some Asians cannot stand and think less of other Asian cultures and other Asian countries. This is a reality. But here in the United States, we were given voice to... An extraordinary appeal, I guess, by by Dr. King when he made that historic speech and called for black kids and white kids to sit together hand in hand at the table and be unified. And we'll play the speech today because we, we try to do it, at least the core parts of it, every every Martin Luther King Day. But it's especially important today. It's especially important today for the reasons that I'm outlining right now, because of the work that is being done in recent years to inflame racial tension by the imposition 
That means imposing critical theory upon children and upon adults as well and upon college students. Critical race theory, to be precise. Critical theory is a Marxist tool. It's not just about race. Critical theory is used essentially the same way. It just depends on what the subject matter is, and that is to create a system of oppressors and a system of victims. That's what critical theory does. It's how it divides. Critical race theory divides on drum roll please, racial lines. Critical race theory says that if you have light-colored skin, you must be viewed as an oppressor. And if you have light-colored skin, you deserve to be oppressed to make up for years and decades of oppression gone by that were committed by people who had skin that looked like yours. Ibram X. Kendi, the authoritative voice on anti-racism today, whose racial division, and quite frankly, his racial arson, that's what it is, it just sets communities aflame, literally and figuratively. But Ibram X. Kendi says that the only answer to past discrimination is present discrimination. And the only answer to present discrimination is future discrimination discriminate against people based on things they didn't do but that were done in the past by people who look like them does that sound like dr martin luther king's dream no no it is literally the opposite if you have light colored skin you must be viewed as an oppressor someone looking to do harm to people with dark colored skin and people whose skin is darker colored You have no choice. You cannot rise above that. You must always accept your role in critical theory as a victim. The system will always be out to get you. It will always be out to hold you back. And your response to that must be one of rage and vengeance. You must look to discriminate against those who have discriminated against people who look like you in the past. You must demand reparations for your perpetual victimhood. You must demand free things, free free um, stuff, whether it be wealth, whether it be uh, housing, whether it be clothing, whether it be food. I am owed this because my skin is darker than yours. You owe it to me in a welfare state, in a welfare society. Now, never mind the fact that millions and millions of African Americans reject that mentality out of hand. What are you kidding? I am not less than. I am not a victim. I am not owed those things. I will earn my own way, thank you. I will buy my own house, thank you. I will feed my family, myself, thank you. I don't need daddy in the form of a big government giving something to me because they think I need it, because my skin is darker than somebody else's? That is insane. It is indefensible. It is unimaginable. Millions of blacks, African Americans, believe that. But they are being told not to. In a very weird, perverse reversal. And it is perverse. The reversal of Dr. Martin Luther King's dream, they believe 
the Dr. King actually said this. I have a dream. My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the content of their character, but by the color of their skin. I have a dream. Yeah, it's a little bit of a sloppy edit. I just did it about 20 minutes before the show today. I wanted to make a point. But you heard it, right? That's what they want you to believe. That is what they're acting on. They are acting as if the goal isn't racial unity and colorblindness. The goal is racial division and color awareness. Color, color, um, how do I want to phrase that? Uh, recognition, color recognition rather than colorblindness. Because that's the only way they can advance advance their own personal agenda. And their own personal agenda by these racial arsonists is wealth and power. And that's it. How do they gain wealth and power? By creating division. By sowing division. By reversing the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So I call on this MLK today, MLK Day today, in 2023, for every progressive and liberal in America who believes in critical race theory, either being taught in our schools under the title or being used in our schools without the title or is being practiced in the form of D.I.E., diversity, inclusion, and equity. That's correct. I put those initials in that order for a purpose. Any progressive liberal who believes that colorblindness is bad because it doesn't give people with darker skin the advantages that they should have, it doesn't recognize them as the victims that they are, and it doesn't blame people with light-colored skin for the evils of light-colored skin, uh, uh, skinned people in the past. Um, <laughs> the, these individuals should not be celebrating MLK Day today. If you're a progressive liberal in America who supports CRT, you should ignore MLK Day today. Because you've made it clear you do not believe in the dream. You do not believe in color blindness. You believe in color recognition. You believe in treating people based not on the content of their character, but treat them, judge them, based on only the color of their skin. So if you're a leftist, be a leftist. If you are a progressive racist trying to sow racial division in America, ignore Dr. King's speech, legacy, life. Ignore all of it because you are standing in the way of it. If you're a conservative-minded American or a moderate American on the political ideological scale, and you believe in sitting around the table, holding hands, as Dr. King envisioned, with people of every race, at a table of unity, rather than a table of division. If you believe in that, you are the ones advancing Dr. King's long-held dream. You are the one trying to make the goal happen. You are the ones trying to achieve that utopia 
that that would come from a fully equal color blind society in which racism at the racism at the systemic level is eradicated again it will always exist at the personal level for some but at the systemic level at the cultural level it can be eradicated but it would have to be done by choice i'm calling on people to make that choice conservatives believers in unity you're making that choice every day. Progressives who want to divide by way of CRT, by the way of viewing white people as white supremacists with the goal of harming people of color, you are literally destroying the dream and the legacy of Dr. King. So on this MLK Day 2023, I hope you think about it through that lens. I hope you see it through that lens. I hope you think about it with that perspective. Phone lines are going to be open to you this morning at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. After the bottom of the hour news, we're going to get Jim Jordan, and we're going to talk to Jim Jordan about a lot of very important things. And before we do any of that, I'm going to ask you now, black and white and every ethnicity and race within the sound of my voice, please stand, face our flag, and um, join us in our Pledge of Allegiance. If you don't have a flag nearby, that is okay. Just imagine one. But put your hand on your heart and join us. Normally, I will admonish people who don't believe in those things, that they don't have to stand and, and, and pledge allegiance to the flag. I'm going to forego that for today and say, even if you are typically somebody who is working against what that flag represents and the constitutional republic that it represents, well, I'm going to say for today, let's see if we can do this together, huh? Face the flag and join us as we say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 925 Always Right Radio is right back. Okay, 928 now, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. I mentioned Congressman Jim Jordan. He will be joining me at 935 as per his usual Monday visit. He's going to talk to us about so many important things from the Judiciary Committee, and uh, we will discuss the uh, uh, the uh, weaponization subcommittee of the Judiciary Committee. But we're also going to talk to Congressman Jordan about something very important, something that I've already pre-approved. Not that I needed to pre-approve, but I just wanted to make sure that he had seen the letter so that he can respond to us, or respond to it, rather, uh, one way or the other, appropriately. The letter I'm talking about, and you're going to want to pay attention to this, the letter I'm talking about was sent by my good friend Tom Zawostowski, the president of the We the People Convention, and countersigned by a number of others. This was sent back in December, so almost a year ago, or a month ago, I beg your pardon, it was on December 9th. It was uh, countersigned by about 18 or so uh, conservative leaders in Northeast Ohio. And this is a letter to Congressman Jordan, Asking him, once he takes over as House Judiciary Chairman, which he has now, to consider this request. The request is to subpoena January 6th political prisoners who are currently being held, now going past two years, two years after their arrest and detention, without a trial in violation of their constitutional rights, without access to their attorneys, in violation of their constitutional rights, being held in conditions described by many who have seen them as worse than Guantanamo Bay. 
Can you please bring them, subpoena them to testify about their detention, not their cases, but their detention, so that we can bring all of this out in full transparency to the full view of the American people, and then demand finally that something be done on their behalf. This is extraordinarily important. The letter went to Congressman Jordan. I've been, I've confirmed that he has seen it and read it and will respond to it this morning. So that's coming up after the bottom of the hour news, which is now on AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 937. Good Monday morning to you once again. Thanks so much for being with us. And uh, let's jump right into it as we do each and every Monday with the new chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, also chair of the Weaponization Subcommittee under Judiciary, Congressman Jim Jordan on AM 1420. The answer. Congressman, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Bob. Good to be with you. Mr. Chairman, I've got a ton of stuff that we're, I want to talk about with you, but okay. none is none is more important. Many of them may be as important, but nothing is more important than this one, and this is one that I've been trying to uh, work work through here for a little bit with you. Now, um, you are in possession, I'm told by Russ, that uh, of the uh, the letter by the We the People Convention, countersigned by about 18 or 20 mm-hmm. uh, prominent conservatives in Northeast Ohio. For those who haven't read, I'm just going to read a couple of quick lines from the letter to you so that I can ask you directly to respond to it. And I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, this sure. is very important right now, particularly with Kevin McCarthy asking for the release of all footage of the entire events of January 6, 2021. Um, you have made it clear, this is part of the letter to you, Congressman Jim Jordan, that the Judiciary Committee will be looking into what actually happened on January 6, 2021, with the goal of exposing the truth, which has been so effectively concealed for two years by Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi the corrupt January 6 Committee, and others. Uh, we are grateful that the Republican House is planning to take uh, action to restore equal justice in the rule of law. We are asking you to go one important step further. We are asking you to bring January 6th political prisoners and their families before your committee to testify in person in front of Congress and the American people about what our nation has done to them and their families since that day. Now, to clarify, obviously, Congressman Jordan, the letter goes on to say that uh, this isn't to talk about their guilt or innocence of what they are charged with for that day, but to discuss their detention, the conditions thereof, the fact that two years have gone by without trials, obviously violating their constitutional rights to speedy trials, and to their attorneys, to representation, uh, being kept in conditions described by many who have seen them as worse, not as bad, but worse than terrorists are kept in Guantanamo Bay. That's not in every case, but it's in enough cases that it was it was mm-hmm. made you know it was it was it was made known. Well, so, Congressman Jordan, yeah. can you? Is it possible? Will you try to do exactly that? Since we can't get to these people in any other way than maybe if you subpoena them to testify before a committee. Well, and also remember that there was a warden who who held the uh, the uh, our judge who held the warden in contempt for the for the conditions of some of these individuals how they were how they were treated. So uh, we, we're we're very uh, pleased to hear that the speaker has indicated that he wants the videotape uh, uh, released, all footage of of that release. Uh, the speaker McCarthy said that uh, last week. We've mm-hmm. had a number of whistleblowers come talk to us about the disparate treatment between uh, the rioters and looters in the summer of of 2020 from the Justice Department and, um, of course, uh, January 6th defendants. 
the the only concern would be that there there when you when you if you try to get someone who's currently incarcerated to come testify that can be that can be an, an ordeal but we will certainly uh, look at that and then the other thing i guess i would just uh, i guess is sort of a practical um you know if they come and testify uh, if these individuals would come and testify they're going to be you know subjected to uh, hours of of questioning from from the democrats in in, in their whole their whole um, you know perspective on things um, uh, so, but this is something that we are definitely going to look at because, again, this whole idea that there's one set of rules for January 6th defendants, but a different set if you were riders and looters in the summer of of, uh, of 2016, or, or if you're a pro-life activist, you get treated differently than than, than people who've now uh, uh, attacked over a hundred churches and crisis pregnancy centers. So that, that is certainly a theme that we think is important to explore in the work of the uh, subcommittee and frankly, the full committee. Hmm. Um, points all very well taken. Um, what can be done if you cannot subpoena them? Personally, I don't think they would care about answering questions from Democrats. They, they may not want to talk about what's being done to them. Because, uh, again, this isn't about their guilt or innocence of that day. It's about how they've been treated since they have been held in detention, held in jails or prisons. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think what the American people want is the full truth on Yep. quite frankly, the torture that they have endured. Now, I'm not saying they're being beaten with rubber hoses like they would be in an Iraqi prison, but um, you know, human rights organizations and psychiatrists and psychologists have yep. all declared that keeping people in, for example, 23-hour lockdowns, shoe programs, you know, yep. secure housing units, is torture. It is psychological and mental yep. torture, and that is what we are being told these people are going through. What can be done to end their torture well, we and, may, their, and, and the way they're being well, treated in, in, while we wait for trial, which, again, is two years on now? Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the 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 thing you do is you you draw attention to it. You t- you you get the facts on the table, and so we just got to look at the best way to do that. Maybe it is in fact the family member. I've I've actually uh, spoke to family members uh, about the the treatment that is is uh, their their loved one is being subjected to. So um, that may be that may be an avenue that we uh, we we look at as well. But I've said this many times: the first step in stopping the political aspect and the political focus of the Justice Department and all the wrongdoing that now dozens of whistleblowers have come and talked to us about, the first step in stopping it is to get the truth out there, is to expose it. And and once you do that, then you can potentially look for rep, uh, uh, legislative solutions. You can look to look for other ways. But the first step is to get the facts on the table and get the truth to the American people. And and certainly these are some of the things we're going to look at regarding this specific situation. Um, obviously, the best way to get those facts out on the table would be to elicit them through testimony. Um, yep. So, so yep. Is, can can you commit to the to the your constituents and also the American people, since you're now the chair of the Judiciary Committee? Can you can you you know uh, confirm that you will we're, move? Because for two years, everybody's been very frustrated with not just Republicans, but the entire yeah. response of legislators. Again, as these people have watched their rights be violated time and time again. Nobody, yeah, by the way, is calling for these people to be viewed as heroes. Release them as here. If they broke the law, they should be held accountable by the law. But the law doesn't call, call for two years without a trial and indefinite detention and, and, and being barred from seeing your attorneys and consulting with your own defense and so forth. It doesn't call for that for anything anybody's been accused of. Yeah. There. What we're calling for is due process. What we're calling for is consistent with the Constitution. What we're calling for is follow the rule of law, the Constitution, and equal treatment under the law. That is the entire theme 
and it applies across them. It applies, as I said, to pro-life activists. It, it applies to gender. Uh, it applies. It should be applied equally, and that is what we have to get back to in this great country. And we're, we're willing to do what what we need to do to make sure we get the facts on the table for the for the people to see. Congressman, speaking of the rule of law, let's move on to the documents now. January 9th, news breaks of the first classified documents. January 11th, another document found uh, uh, in the uh, Delaware home of the president. January 12th, five more documents found at Biden's home. January 14th, uh, Sauber publicly reveals that more documents were found on Thursday. In other words, they told us that the investigation was over. Then they kept investigating and found more. Congressman, what I want to know is... Why on earth is the search for more classified documents mishandled so carelessly or intentionally by President Joe Biden, then Vice President Joe Biden? Why is this being done by his personal attorneys and not by great the point. FBI? Yeah, great point. They always get to decide, and they always get to do the, the, the looking and the, and the deciding on what the people are allowed to, to see or, or how this works. I mean, I go back to... Uh, we may have talked about this last week, but this, this is one of the first things that jumped out at me, too, because I remember during the Benghazi hearings, I asked Hillary Clinton, Secretary Clinton, this, this, this question. I said, Secretary Clinton, you've got 60-some thousand emails. Some of them are work-related. Some of them aren't. We don't, we don't want to see your, your personal emails. We shouldn't. This is America. There's a thing called privacy. We don't need to see that. But I, I got to tell you, we're, we're a little concerned about you and your lawyers deciding which ones are work-related that we're supposed to see, which ones are personal. We're a little nervous about that, but how about we do it this way? How about we have a neutral third party like a retired federal judge look at them? And her response was, no, 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 we'll decide. Secretary Clinton and her lawyers will decide what we get to see. The same thing happens here. It's Biden's lawyers who go in and first find this stuff. Then they alert. Now, this is interesting, too. They alert the White House counsel, right? The White House counsel, this, this latest one where they found the five at, at his residence, the five documents, it's, it's the White House counsel going with the Department of Justice. Well, what, what, what is that? So that's not how it's supposed to work in our system. So, yeah, there's again, this is part of it. There's, there's always a different standard if you're part of the politically connected class versus, uh, versus us regular people. Or if you're part of the politically favored class, when well, your name is Clinton and, or Biden ver, and, 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 uh, versus if your name is Trump. And so um, this is it's frustrating, and it's why it's why we're going to look at it, uh, and, and in particular, uh, Representative Comer and the Oversight Committee are going to look at this e- Equally well. frustrating, and in fact maddening, is the fact that these documents were found not last week, but in the first week of November. Yeah, November 2nd. This was well, no, done, you made right. a great point. You made, you made a great point, Bob, too. They were telling us all last week they were being transparent, but while they're telling us they're being transparent, they weren't telling us everything. Because they knew last week that they had found these documents on December 19th, these additional documents, and all they initially told us about was the ones they found on November 2nd. The first, so they find them on November 2nd, they find more on December 18th, but they personally tell us about the ones they find on November 2nd. Then they tell us, oh no, we found some more, and then they find more on top of that. All the while they're telling us they're being transparent. So, uh, again, lack of transparency and the double standard, and it's what frustrates the country so much. Um, that's why we're again looking into it and make sure now we're going to get we're going to get all the facts on the tables we were talking about before. When we spoke last week, we were calling for what we eventually got, which was a special counsel to be appointed. weren't sure if Merrick Garland would actually do that because of the optics of this whole thing, but he didn't have a choice, so he chose Robert Hur. Do you know anything about Robert Hur, and how do you feel about the likelihood that we can trust the special counsel to follow the facts wherever they may lead? 
I don't know him personally. I'm not talking to him personally. I do know what my, my friend and former colleague Devin Nunes has said. He said that he is tight with Mr. Rosenstein and Mr. Ray. Uh, Devin said he it was Mr. Her who was pushing back on Devin trying to release the memo that initially brought forward how, how, uh, how wrong the Steele dossier was uh, back in, in early, uh, early 2018. So I do know that's his background. But we'll have to see. Um, I got my concerns uh, based on what Devin's told me because I trust Devin. And Devin's a good man who brought that memo forward, and it was Mr. Herr at the Justice Department who was pushing back and trying to get that memo from, keep that memo from going <clears throat> public to the American people. Last question on the uh, documents for now. Um, do you have any opinion on motive? Everybody is wondering, are they are the Democrats trying to, did they know about this for a long time, and now they sat on it, kept their powder dry, and now it's time to expose it because they're really trying to get rid of any chance of Joe Biden running for reelection? Do you have any idea on what might be behind, I, oh, look at this, look what we found over here. Hey, how about that? Yeah. We should probably report this. It, it is kind of odd the way this is timed up. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I, I, I asked the same question, you know, why now? Why, why did they go look? I mean, did Joe Biden just suddenly remember? I mean, I, I find that hard to believe. Um, and, you know, these documents could have been there for almost six years, for goodness sake. So what prompted them to go look now uh, at the Biden Center and then, of course, at, at his at his residence? I don't know. Maybe it's maybe they, they said, you know, we don't know what Mr. Comer's investigation is going to show. He's, he's trying to get these suspicious activities, these, these bank reports. Um, maybe we should just check it out. Maybe that's what drove him to do it. Maybe that was the motive. I don't know. Um, but it does seem a little strange to me that all of a sudden they're looking and, um, uh, you know, and, and here six years after the fact. So, um, but I, why? I think it's probably anybody's guess. Congressman, uh, last week we spoke about the Weaponization Committee, subcommittee, and I want to ask about that. What are the first planned steps for this Weaponization Subcommittee? And then secondly, we did not talk about the Select Committee on China uh, being run by Representative Gallagher. I wanted to get your yeah. thoughts. What do you expect will come from that? Well, the, 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 Mike Gallagher is a sharp guy uh, um, and maybe guy, and uh, I think he's the right guy to lead that, that, that committee. Um, and this, I think, again, this is also to just bring bring forward and make sure the, the the country, the nation, fully understands just what a threat China is and what they're doing to our our intellectual property, what they're doing to you know international business norms and trade norms, um, and frankly, the lack of pushback from the current administration compared to the pushback that, that for the first time we had President Trump actually stand up to China and and, and make certain demands. So I think all that um, it will be part of what what uh, Mr. Gallagher and his team does uh, does there. Relative to the to the Judiciary Committee and the Select Committee, um, I think we're going to focus on these on, on the whistleblowers. I, I've been going through their 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 communications with our staff. Our staff records that down, and I've been looking through. There's some amazing things in there that they have brought forward. Um, and I always point to that very first whistleblower who came and talked to us about the the focus on going after moms and dads at school board meetings. And he's the he's that the initial whistleblower, and then we've had dozens follow. But he's the first one to tell us, and, and the line he used about the upper echelon of the, of the FBI at, the, at the, the leadership at the Washington field office, he said it's rotted at its core. And and then goes on to describe some of the things that, that he, is, he has seen. And then a number of others buttress all that with, with uh, their, um, their, their information as well. And the part that scares me the most is so many of these guys, we believe, have been retaliated against. They've had their clearance taken from them. Many of them have been suspended. 
Some have resigned rather than, than deal with what they, they face after they come forward. And, and always remember what Mara Garland did. The first time I, I, I talked about this on, on a, uh, Sean Hannity's show, the very next day, uh, there was a memo written by Merrick Garland to agents across the Justice Department, across the FBI, explaining to them why they shouldn't talk to, to Congress, and if they do, here's how they're supposed to do it. I thought basically a memo was designed to chill their activity, chill speech from them in coming forward and talking to us. So I think we're going to probably focus in on, on those whistleblowers first and let them tell their story. But, of course, they've got to be willing to come you know, do a deposition and, and be willing to testify. If I may, how do you vet a whistleblower's accusations before you call them? And because you don't know what they're going to say until you vet and yep. really find out what they know. Staff talks to them. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I have not talked to any of them. We have the, we have good lawyers and good staff on our uh, Republican Judiciary Committee, and they um, they vet these guys. Uh, we've had uh, a number willing to come forward. I think the reason they're willing to come forward is the problem is so bad, yeah. and they know they can trust us. Um, and they, they've they've done that now over the last several months. Uh, my, my anticipate more coming, but um, we do know it, it, it sure looks like at least that they're getting all kinds of pushback from from the higher ups at the Justice Department, including the Attorney General. And, and I and I appreciate those answers. And while I uh, apologize for being too specific here, do you have any idea when? Like when might the first whistleblower be called? When might the first witnesses be called well, before a committee on this? I'm like you. I want to get rolling as, as as soon as we can, but we we don't even have the members of the committee yet. We don't have the members of the full committee. That's supposed to happen today. Okay. Uh, then then we'll get the, the members assigned by the speaker uh, to the select committee uh, at some point in in the future. So once we get the members, then you want to I, I want to meet with all our members, talk about the game plan. That at least I have in my mind, but I want to get their input and make sure that that, that, that they have a better idea on how we uh, target this and how we approach this and what our first actions are. Um, if so if I read it right, that time. committee is going to be 15 members, right? Nine Republicans, six yeah, Democrats. Nine six. Uh, yeah, nine I'm just six. curious. Do um, do you plan to let the Democrats choose their own members? Unlike what we yeah. saw on the January yeah. sixth select committee. Just curious. Yeah, this will be this will be a real committee. There'll be real cross examination. <laughs> Speakers indicated if, uh, that if, uh, if the Democrats uh, uh, who they want to put on, then they'll they'll get put on. So, uh, but uh, but in the end, that's the Speaker's call. But. Uh, Speaker McCarthy has given every indication that he's going to let the Democrats put the members on their committee um, that they want. And that's the way our system should work. Uh, we're not afraid of cross-examination. I mean, that's, that's the fundamental element in American, in, in our judicial system and in our, in our fact-finding system is you get both sides. There's a great, there's a great verse in, in Proverbs that says, the first to present his case seems right until another comes along and questions him. And that's that, so clear back in Scripture, of course, Clear back to the Mosaic Law, there's the idea that there's cross-examination. And the first committee in history where there wasn't cross-examination was the January 6th committee. And that's why we got all kinds of questions, by the way, uh, on, on what's happening, too, as, as we started this conversation with, with some of the defendants and, and, and what this committee was all about. That is such a great quote to get pulled from Scripture, because that's exactly right. And, of course, I knew you would let them do that. I wanted to, uh, of course, expose the difference between that and Nancy Pelosi, who denied you guys the opportunity, denied Leader McCarthy at the time from appointing you to that and others to that uh, January 6th uh, unselect committee. Congressman Jordan, uh, I know you're busy as all get out, chairing two these two very important committees, or committee and subcommittee. Thank you for making the time, as you always do, and I look forward to following up with you on those J6 prisoners as well. You bet. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Thank, thank you, sir. That's Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. Hope you got what you're looking for there. Uh, I think he's giving us all the answers he can give us at this particular point in time. 
but we're going to keep raising the issue. And I'm going to. I said I spoke to McFan on Saturday, and I'm going to tell them the same thing I'm telling you. Or I'm sorry, I told them the same thing I'll tell you right now, and that is. Continue to bang on your particular representative, whether it's Jim Jordan or whether it's Dave Joyce or whether it's uh, 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 Bob Latta or any whoever your, your your congressperson is. You need to continue to bang the drum, get in their ears, fill their inboxes, uh, uh, jam up their answering machine tapes, you know their voicemails, and tell them you want the January 6th political prisoners to testify on what's being done to them so that we can stop this two-year-long torture that they have faced. Uh, It doesn't mean you don't hold them accountable for lawbreaking, but you have to do this by the law when it comes time to punish. 957, we'll take this to the news and come back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward into hour number two we go now at nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Monday. It's the 16th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023, and it is a day that we are celebrating, of course, the legacy of the great civil rights leader, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners, Will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood? I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, With its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to trans- 
Uh oh. That wasn't supposed to cut off there. Hold on one second. I want to continue that and finish it. And unfortunately, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day with all of God's children. Be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring. From the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania, let freedom ring. From the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado, let freedom ring. From the curvaceous slopes of California, but not only that, let freedom ring. From Stone Mountain of Georgia, let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring and when it When we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city. We will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at Can you dig it? Cyrus was not there to say, can you dig it, actually, at the speech. That was an add-on. That speech was delivered on August 28, 1963, about 100 years after President Lincoln signed the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation, which, of course, freed the slaves. More than 200,000 people heard Dr. King deliver that speech. Black and white people all came to watch and to listen and to support civil rights, to push for civil rights, to push for desegregation, to push for unity, to push for equality. Right? 1963. That dream was held by so many millions of Americans, black and white, for a very long time. Not all, but so many. And that dream has been killed by the American left. That dream that you just heard Dr. King so eloquently articulate with the passion and the sincerity that he did, that dream has been killed by the American left. 
that says, take your colorblind society and shove it somewhere. Colorblindness is racist because you're not recognizing the color that struggled. You're not recognizing the color that oppressed. And until you recognize and hold accountable modern-day colors, dark skin and light skin, as being either victims or oppressors, then you are feeding the racism. That's the mentality of the American left today. It is borne out in CRT, critical race theory. It is also borne out in the words of people like this. Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee from Texas has decided that the best way to honor the dream and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King is to introduce a new piece of legislation, which she did just exactly seven days ago. A bill that criminalizes the criticism of any non-white person by a white person. Wait, what? The bill says any white person who criticizes or vilifies non-white persons or groups can be charged with committing a federal hate crime. This is real. This is legitimate. Nothing says, let's have our children, black and white, holding hands together around the table of hope. Nothing quite says that, like, white people can be charged with hate crimes for criticizing non-white persons. Now, the specifics of the bill go into issues involving crimes that may be committed, but it does not change the insanity of the call for white people's speech, the speech of all white persons to be limited, their First Amendment rights to be taken away from them. Sheila Jackson Lee has long been one of the dumbest members of the United States Congress. She's represented the 18th District there since 1995. She's a fixture. She is the sole sponsor. There is no co-sponsor of House Bill 61. It's entitled Leading Against White Supremacy Act of 2023, and it calls for a new type of federal hate crime conspiracy charges solely aimed at white people. This bill says individuals can be charged with conspiracy to engage in a white supremacy hate crime for crimes or plots that they had no actual knowledge of. In other words, anyone who criticizes, for example, immigration, which of course is overwhelmingly uh, brown and black persons, we're talking about illegal immigration specifically, But anybody who criticizes immigration or vilifies any, quote, non-white person or group, end quote, in an article or on a social media post or a tweet can be charged with conspiracy to engage in white supremacy. They would face this charge if someone they have never met or communicated with or ever even heard of is then accused of planning, developing, preparing, or perpetrating a crime. This bill would be a soft repeal of the United States Constitution's First Amendment. As I said, it would take the free speech away from people based on the color of their skin. On the same day that she introduced H.R. 61, she also co-introduced H.R. 40, which calls for a federal commission on reparations for slavery. 
Ultimately, the purpose, of course, is to be to give free money to black Americans who were never enslaved and take it away from white Americans who never held slaves. A total of 52 Democrats, by the way, are currently sponsoring that one. So I bring this up, of course, for very good reason today. Because this is MLK Day. This is the day we celebrate the legacy. This is the day we celebrate the dream of racial unity. And the way we celebrate it, according to the American left, is to create more racial division. Tell white people they're guilty of conspiracy to commit white supremacy if they criticize somebody who is not white. By the way, it does not apply in reverse. Persons of color are allowed to criticize white persons with impunity in any way, manner, or shape, or form that they wish. But if a white person criticizes a non-white person, they could be charged with conspiracy to commit white supremacy, a federal hate crimes charge under this bill. Now, I know it's not going anywhere. You know it's not going anywhere. It's not going to pass out of a committee. It's not going to be brought up in a committee. It's not going to be discussed. It's going to be dead in two seconds. But the fact that it was introduced and is being considered and thought was put into writing it lets you know that Dr. Dreams or Dr. King's dream is dead. And it wasn't killed by you and me. It wasn't killed by conservatives who believe in a colorblind society as Dr. King wanted. It's been killed by those who say colorblind societies are racist. You must hold white-skinned people accountable for being white-skinned. They're crackers. They're whip crackers in another generation. They're cracking a different kind of a whip. That's what they are. They're oppressors. They're conspiring to keep people down, to keep people of color down, to keep them poor, and so on and so forth. And the reality is, when it comes to leftists, part of that is true. White liberals, white Marxists, white leftists, are conspiring to keep black people down, conspiring to keep people poor. Black people who are poor are, are, are gold to the Democrat Party because poor black people then look to the government to help them because they're poor and they need things, and the Democrat Party says, here you go, and it keeps them voting Democrat. That's what I mean when I say the left has killed Dr. Martin Luther King's dream. Any whole, a goal or hope we had of, of some sort of a colorblind society, of, of judging people by the color, uh, content of their character, not the color of their skin, has been killed by the modern American Democrat. I'm going to be discussing this at length this afternoon on Dr. Gorka's show. I'll be hosting for Dr. G from 3 to 6. And we're going to be discussing this at length with an African-American writer and uh, pundit named Adam Coleman, who was red-pilled not long ago, who voted Republican for the first time in his life in this last election, who has seen the reality of who is harming his people and who actually is looking out for the opportunity of this great country and what it provides for African Americans. So I think you're going to want to hear that. All right, 1022, we'll get to some phone calls right after this time out. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The Ten twenty-five now. Always right. Radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Phone lines are open at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Jim 
is in West Park on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's talk about those January 6th prisoners that uh, Jim Jordan and I discussed. Jim, go right ahead, sir. Morning, Bob. Listen, uh, I'm going to ask these in a question form. So uh, there's a couple few things here I got written down, but the Patriot Act Mm -hmm. was, was signed into office by George Bush, and Barack Obama put three provisions on it. So if these uh, uh, people on January 6th were labeled terrorists, uh, they can't be processed uh, uh, as regular citizens. Uh, so I, 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 want, I want to ask the question, okay? Mm-hmm. I think that the power brokers are using this Patriot Act against us, us citizens. There's another one here, Mike Pence, I think had a lot to do with taking Trump down. That's a question. And then have you found out anything about the Propaganda Act? Uh, thanks for taking my call, Bob. Okay, appreciate the, uh, the questions. Um, in order, uh, as to the first part, I don't know that they have declared the January 6th detainees to be terrorists. They have called them insurrectionists. Can insurrection be synonymous with treason? Maybe, in which case they might be able to declare them alleged or accused traitors. I don't know. I've heard the word insurrectionist used many, many times. I have not heard an official declaration that they're calling them terrorists. Now, if they do call them terrorists, domestic terrorists, um, would that allow them to use the Patriot Act and hold them as such and deny them the rights that they have? Uh, possibly, possibly that wouldn't be right. By the way, I'm saying, could that would that be their justification for denying them the right to speedy trial, denying them access to their attorneys, and so on and so forth? It is possible, but I don't know that they have been officially. I think some on the left have used the term terrorist to describe them simply because they, you know, they're politically motivated. But I don't know that they've been declared that. And yes, you're right. Of course, they could use the Patriot Act against them. But that's why so many people condemned and criticized the Patriot Act when it was passed. So that's one and signed. Uh, that's one. The second one was about Mike Pence. No, I do not believe Mike Pence was part uh, was a part of quote unquote bringing down Trump. Uh, Mike Pence was caught in a very very difficult position, in my opinion. The election had been stolen. There's no question the election had been stolen. I think everybody, including Mike Pence, if you were looking at it objectively, would absolutely say the election was stolen. The cry to hold off the certification of the election results until an audit could could be conducted, I think, was a legitimate one. It was a fair one. Was it something that Mike Pence could have done under the Constitution, just unilaterally said, no, we're not doing the certification now as vice president and president of the Senate? We're not doing it? I don't know. I have heard many legal scholars say Mike Pence's hands were tied. He did nothing uh, wrong, and in fact, had he stopped the certification vote at that point in time to to order this audit, he would not have been on solid constitutional footing. I don't think Mike Pence was part of, quote-unquote, taking down Trump at all. I think Mike Pence was uh, between a rock and a hard place, and there was no way for him to win. And as far as the propaganda bill, I think is what he asked. I do not have any more information on that uh, at this point. Jim, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. We're going to take a time out here. Bottom of the hour news is coming up. Then we're going to have a different kind of a conversation. Remember Kevin Sorbo, Hercules, man of faith, actor, who has been making some incredibly inspirational movies? Well, there's another one, and we're going to be talking to him about it coming up next on AM 1420. 
against the darkness of tyranny. Always write radio with Bob Franz on The Answer. All right, 1036, thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. So you're just admitting to being crazy. Yes, I'm quite comfortable with that. When it is all over, half the world will be dead. This is the biggest news story since the vanishing. You listen to me. You drag this line of nonsense into the public eye. We're both finished. Now I'm more like an actor. The Antichrist will declare himself as God. Seem like a stretch even for them. How do we know who we can trust? Trust God. The world is suffering. We are on the brink of mass insanity. What happens to the rest of us? Doesn't it seem strange that it's still so easy to dismiss it, even though we saw it with our own eyes? That trailer is absolutely gripping. Uh, whether you're a person of faith or not, but if you're a person of faith, it probably helps just a little bit. Uh, Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist. It is the newest movie by Kevin Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo not only stars in this movie, he is the director of this movie. It is the latest in a Left Behind series, one that was a sequel to the 2014 Left Behind starring Nicolas Cage. And we're joined now by Kevin Sorbo to talk about what this movie means and why it's so important right now. Kevin Sorbo, thanks for taking the time and joining us here in Cleveland. How are you? I'm very fine, sir. I'm just a little bummed out my Minnesota Vikings lost, but I knew all year they didn't have a very good defense. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm over that right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough loss to take. That I, I I feel bad for you there, although not not as bad as I feel for the poor San Diego Chargers giving up a twenty-seven to nothing lead on Saturday. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this is true. That was a pretty amazing weekend. But anyway, I look at a Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist. Um, you hit it on the nail. You don't have to be a person of faith to watch this movie because it's really an action thriller. Yes, it does deal with the book. Does deal with the book of Revelation. You even call it a sci-fi movie. You know, so. But the reality is, um, you know, it, it, it comes off uh, the, the best-selling books, the Left Hand books by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. They sold 80 million copies in the last 20-plus years. It's been owned by the Cloud 10 gents out of, um, out of Toronto. And they did an amazing job with this script because they really made it up-to-date. And we got, uh, we got the serious nod of approval from Jerry Jenkins himself. Tim LaHaye passed away years ago. But uh, Jerry said it's by far the best. Uh, left behind movie ever and uh it's it's a great movie and i hope people get out and support this thing it opens january 26th go to leftbehindmovie.com leftbehindmovie.com to find out uh, the trailer see the full trailer and also find out what theater is showing near you yeah and you know it's funny you say it could almost be a sci-fi movie paul alan one of your producers i read his his line and i think it's fascinating he said this is a true story it just hasn't happened yet and that's essentially yeah. what the people of faith who watch your movie are going to be really you know uh, drawn in by i think yeah, no, no question. Uh, it, it, deal, it deals six months later after the last movie that they came out uh, eight years ago with Nicholas Cage playing Rayford Steele. I took over that role. Plus, as you mentioned, I directed as well. I was surrounded by an amazing cast with Corbin Burnson and, and uh, Neil McDonough and uh, Bailey Chase. Uh, got Greg Perot's got these fantastic Sarah Fisher. My wife's actually in it. There's a couple of wonderful scenes that she don't did. Forget and, Sam, don't forget uh, Sam Sorbo. Sam Sorbo's in there, and my son Shane Sorbo, I mean, uh, Braden Sorbo's in there as well. And um, uh, they like it so much, actually, at Cloud 10, they're writing the sequel to this one right now, and I'll probably be uh, writing, I mean, directing and starring in that one at the end of this year. Now, I think an obvious question would be, it is eight years since the uh, since the last episode, or the last uh, movie in this, in, in this series. Uh, that's a long time between sequels. Why did it take so long for this one to get made? 
It's actually been it's been actually been eight years since the last one. Oh, what did and I say? Did I say six? I'm sorry, eight years. You yes. Said, no, you said a year. I thought you said a year. Oh um, no, no. I, then I did say eight because I'm looking at the 2014, just like you are. So yeah. So no, I did say eight. Just must not have heard it right. But anyway, yeah. We don't. We know it's. Perfect. We know it's. How about this? It's nearly a decade. Uh, that's a long time between. <laughs> right. That's a long time between between films that are that is you know a sequel a sequel story. So what, what took so long? Well, I, I think uh, there were there were some things going on within the the rights of the last movie, and I think it became sort of a court case and stuff like that. So took a while to settle all those things and uh you know when the lawyers get involved they love to drag things on and so a uh, year two years ago they said everything's settled we're ready to go we're going to rewrite the script because we want to bring it up to date uh the, what the chaotic world we're living in now um we definitely talk about uh virus we talk about the, the violence and the anger and the hatred and the burning of cities and all that and uh, really this is it's six months later and okay what's left i mean the people that know millions upon millions of people disappear from the face of the earth. Well, you know there's going to be deniers still. They're going, well, it was aliens. or you know. But then, you know, a lot of people are going to go, wait a minute, we were wrong. So, uh, you know, this is a movie I think that's going to touch people in a lot of different ways. And it's going to obviously probably bring about some pretty ferocious debates, too. But uh, I, lo- I love being part of this movie. I read those books years ago. And now to be part of that family, it's sort of full circle for me because I did a movie 12 years ago with uh, Dallas Jenkins directing. Right now, Dallas is huge with The Chosen, which is like monstrous around the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jerry Jenkins actually funded that movie. It's called What If? And it was the same writers that did a movie that called God's Not Dead, which is a big hit. But in my book, What If? is a better movie. So I'm going to recommend What If? to people who have never seen What If? But I really do hope people fill up the theaters uh, January 26th weekend because uh, we got to get people to you know fill up those seats and make sure the movie continues the following week. Now, th- this will be a limited release, right? So uh, it-, it just depends on how it does yep. the first weekend. Okay. And so we do want people to go. We want people to learn about this. Uh, watch the trailer. I just played a short clip of the trailer to introduce Kevin Sorbo. It's leftbehindmovie.com, leftbehindmovie.com. Watch the trailer there. Find out where and how to purchase your tickets, too. Um you know, obviously, as we say, you don't have to be a person of faith, but you are a person of faith. And, Kevin, you make yep. this movie and you make a lot of inspirational movies that do deal with your faith and do deal with Christ. And, you know, Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist is uh, you know, is, is going to grab people no matter what. But why and how is your faith so important to you in your professional work? Well, you know, it's always been part of my life. I grew up with it, grew up in a small town, Minnesota. I'm a Big Ten guy myself, and uh, it was always in my life. So... Um, I don't know if I wear it on my sleeve, but I don't back down from it at all. Uh, I don't admit to being a kind of a perfect person in any way, but um, it's always been there. And uh, when I did that movie, What If, back in 2010, it really sort of opened my eyes to want to go down a different path because you see the anger and the frustration and, and, and uh, you know, violence and over-sexualized and agendas that Hollywood does in everything, whether it's cable, whether it's movies, whether it's television. And I just got to a point of just being tired of it. And I said, you know, I want to do movies that Hollywood used to do. And prior to the 60s, Hollywood always celebrated the good guy winning the, the, winning the battle. And that, all of a sudden the 60s came along, and we've been doing it ever since for the last 50-plus years, where we celebrate negativity and hatred and anger and violence. And um, I just said, you know, I want to do movies that have hope and love and faith and redemption and laughter. And uh, those are the movies pretty much what I've been doing. And I've got three coming out this year, counting off behind. I've got five more in the can that will be out late this year or early next year. And I've actually booked five more for this year. So knock on wood, I'm staying busy. And I used to get stopped all the time. People saying, hey, you know, Hercules or Andromeda was always top of the list. 80% of the time now people say, keep making more movies like God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light. And those are the movies that we want to see as families. So I'm doing that. And 
I don't have a hundred million dollar advertising budget like James, you know, Cameron does for Avatar movies. So we got to get it out there, word of mouth, and uh, find radio stations like you giving us a plug. It's got to get out there, word of mouth. That's the only way we can do it. Well, I'm happy to do it, not just to promote, you know, the messaging, but I just, I like entertainment. Uh, you are, you produce incredibly entertaining movies. This one looks phenomenal, so I'm happy to do it. We're talking to Kevin Sorbo, his latest film, which is coming out in limited release on January 26th, premiering in theaters. It's called Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist. And since we're talking about faith and yours, I'm a big fan of Neil McDonough's work, too, and I know he is also a strong man of faith. How, how did he feel about playing, essentially, the Antichrist? Well, I mean, I don't, it, it could be him. We don't really give it away. So, it, oh, okay, it, that was my takeaway from watching the trailer. Maybe people watching the trailer exactly, will see exactly. something else. There's, so. a, there's, there's a number of characters in this one that you kind of go, "Well, it could be him." Oh, it could be him too. You know, okay. so you you do find out at the end of the movie. There's no question about that. But uh, Neil was Neil's great. He's been a friend for many many years, and we finally got together to do a movie. And actually, we um, he sent me a script that he co-wrote with a buddy of his that we're trying to raise money for right now. And it is a modern-day Cain and Abel, but it's set in the world of Westerns. I say modern because 1850 is still modern compared to Abel, Cain and Abel. But yeah. it's, uh, he said, he said in this one, Kevin, you're going to be the bad guy. He says, I'm tired of dying in movies. He says, I've been killed 51 times in movies. So he says, it's your turn. So I'm playing, I'm playing the bad guy in the uh, Cain and Abel Western. But uh, we're, we're trying to raise money for that now because it is, it's, it's pretty amazing scripts. And that's kind of the, the next step. Yeah, yeah I, I love really, the concept. Yeah, I, ho- I hope that's something that we can see soon. Kevin Sorbo is my guest. He stars and directs Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist. Kevin, we're in a weird, really weird time right now, and it's a really bad time, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, when there are memes flying around social media of Jesus looking up to heaven uh, to his Father God and says, flood it again, uh, it lets you know we got some problems. There are a lot of crazy things happening. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of um, you know fighting and, and wars and so forth. Um, why is this film important at this time, given kind of the, the, the place our culture is? Well, because I think you just said it. I mean, you look at everything that's going on in the world right now, let alone in America, and you look at the leaders of the countries, uh, including America, that are, you know, they believe in socialism, they believe in communism, they believe in control. Uh, government's favorite weapon is fear. And you've seen it played out big time when COVID hit, and it was all about controlling our lives. You know, don't go to church. You can't go to church. It's not essential. Strip clubs are essential, of course, and so is liquor stores. Uh, don't go to parks or outside. Don't exercise. Don't. Oh, my God. Everything they said was the opposite of what we needed to do to get, get past this, uh, this whole pandemic. And uh, this movie really sort of fits those times the way they rewrote the script. Uh, Paula Lund and um, uh, uh, Jeff Hill, his other writers. So what they're doing is, um, I think, really getting out the positive word out there. And I hope people, when they get home, uh, it continues the conversation. I hope people open up their Bibles. Read the book of Revelation, because it's fascinating. I mean, as my pastor used to say, read Revelation, and it will scare the hell out of you. <laughs> I thought, what a perfect way to say that. And uh, I think this movie's coming around at the perfect time. So I, I think there was a reason why there was a, an eight-year delay. I think it was all set up for this time right now. Wow. Now that, wow, you just blew my mind. That's a really great point. I, I just assume, you know, uh, financing is a, is a matter, you know, casting is a matter, you know, get, getting the right production studio is a matter, uh, you know, in a, in a long delay between, between films. But you just hit it. Maybe it was delayed because this is the right time for it. You know, maybe eight years yeah. ago it wouldn't have had the impact talking about the rapture, talking about revelations, talking about, you know, the vanishing of millions and so forth. Maybe people need to be in a time like this to really truly understand it and for this to have the impact. 
Yeah, perfect. You know, in God's timing, right? And sometimes I get impatient with this timing with some of my other movies I'm trying to find funders for. But, um, uh, you know, it's he's not he's not impatient. You know, we are. <laughs> That's code of human nature. But I think this is coming up perfect. Well, by the way, I do want to get a quick plug in. My wife and I are taking a trip. Um, we're group, a group of people to Israel in May, May 17th through the 28th. And it's walking the footsteps of Jesus. We only have eight spots open. We're capping it at 60. We did this before, and it was hugely successful. So go to sorboisraeltrip.com, sorboisraeltrip.com. If you've never been to Israel, look at it as an amazing bucket list trip. It's incredible. I've been over there just recently again, did another documentary last year coming out uh, later this summer, dealing with the tabernacle and the and the um, uh, Ark of the Covenant. And so I hope people watch that when it comes out. It's called Quest of the Throne. That won't be out until September, probably. But I hope people join us on the trip and have a, an amazing, amazing 11 days in Israel. Glad to, glad to get that out there. We'll keep people, people busy on their browsers because they're going to go to that site, and then they're going to go to leftbehindmovie.com, watch the trailer, and figure out how to buy their tickets and get uh, get to see the uh, the film Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist. Last, last question for you, Kevin. When We're talking to Kevin Sorbo, the star and director. Um, when you talk about finding funding uh, for various film projects, um, do you find it difficult because of the kind of films you make, and do you find it difficult because... Again, going back to your faith, I think everybody knows, and you know, they talk about woke Hollywood, and they talk about uh, you know left wing Hollywood, and that left wing Hollywood doesn't necessarily take too kindly to you know conservative slash you know Christian principles. Um, do, do you find that it's an obstacle for you when you uh, when you try to make films? I don't know if that being being doing a faith based movie is directly responsible for having a hard time finding funding. I, I think a lot of wealthy individuals out there because every time i've funded any of my movies it's always been a god thing it's always been like you know i do a speaking event and one person walks up and i'm doing book signing and say hey uh can you make a movie with this much money i go well yes i can i mean my movie budget's around three million dollars and people go wow a lot of money that's catering budget on pirates of the caribbean i mean those avenger movies cameron's those are 300 million dollar movies and they have a hundred million dollar advertising budget well that's what we got to compete against so Hollywood is winning the cultural war right along with the media that goes right along with them. So we do have a battle on our hands. And uh, I, I wish and people go to SorboStudios.com and get a hold of me that way, SorboStudios.com, if they're interested, because um, I've yet to lose money from my investors. I've done very well with it. Uh, we do you know, do movies under $5 million. They have a much better chance of survival out there than movies that when you get higher uh, budget movies. And um, it's always been, like I said, a God thing to raise money. I don't quite get it why we can't get more people to jump on board. I don't think they understand the process, and I don't think they, they understand the cultural war that Hollywood is winning. Uh, Walt Disney said back in the 1950s that movies and television will influence our youth. Well, I think, uh, you know, 60, 70 years later, uh, Walt Disney was proven very, very accurate with his, his prediction. And um, we got we got a battle on our hands, and I'm going to keep fighting it the way I can. I think this door was open for me to for a reason, and uh, I'm going to keep going down that path that I've been on. Well, you know, a lot of people say, and I'll paraphrase it, um, you know, big budget movies with massive special effects and all kinds of sound and fury are, are necessary if you don't have a story. Uh, if you've got a lousy story, you, yeah. you cover it with all of those things. You don't need all of those things because you have a phenomenal story, and you have in, in your other movies uh, as well as this one. I think that's the difference, isn't it? Oh, no question. You hit it right nail again. I've said that many times. I, you know, I'll go see an Avengers movie. I walk out. It's like a roller coaster ride. I mean, majority of it's visual effects. Um, but there's no 
you don't really talk about the character development and talk about the people. I look at the scripts I do as actors' movies. I, look, I call them that because it's like it's 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 got character development. You walk out and you identify with somebody in that movie. You adapt. You 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 recognize the good. You recognize the evil. You recognize the, the storyline or the morality of it. That they're you know the message they're trying to get across. Get across. I want to keep doing more and more movies. Like I look at Blindside, and Blindside was an amazing movie, and everybody of all walks of life went to it because. Yeah, it was a Christian family that takes in this kid, that's this African-American kid, that goes on having an amazing life and then becomes a Hall of Fame football player. And people say, what a great Christian movie. Well, other people that didn't have that sort of faith said, no, it was a great football movie, a good sports movie. But the reality is the message was still in there. And these are the kind of movies I'm going to do more and more of. My next movie that's coming out in the fall is called Miracle in East Texas. I directed that as well. It's a done movie. It's a true story. In 1930, about the largest oil fund in the history of the world, and it has that same kind of message in there, even though anybody all walks can go. And by the way, I think every movie is a faith-based movie. I, atheist, that's a faith. To believe in absolutely nothing, to have that kind of conviction, that's an amazing belief. But the reality is they live without hope in their lives, and I think a lot of people are looking for hope, and I'm hoping the movies that I do give hope to people. It's a great point. You talk about uh, you know atheism is a faith, and you know what else is a faith? Um, I believe, and you brought, you spoke extensively on COVID and what was done at that time. Um, I, I think some people actually worship science and scientism in a way as a faith. They put more faith in that than they do in God. They trust in, in, in vaccines or phony vaccines more than they do God's natural immunity in people. But my point or my question is, is any prospect of a movie on COVID-19 and what it did to the country and what it did to the world and moreover what the response to it did to the people? You know, I, I got a documentary out there that deals with that, and uh, I, I would love to do a movie. There's no question about it, because Facebook took me down about two years ago for speaking the truth. And I can say those things today because everything I said back then, now they're going, well, okay, it's not as effective as we thought it was the jab, and now it's down to like, oh, yeah, you can still get it, and you can still spread it, blah, blah, blah. But please take more shots. And, uh, you know, I, I, I said on Twitter, if people can follow me on Twitter, it's K-Sorbs, K-S-O-R-B-S. Um, but on Twitter, I said, I need more conspiracy theories because mine keep coming true. And that was the case. So it's like, well, I said, you know, I, I did, I, I joke. I said, Hey, you want to get rid of COVID? Tell the Clintons COVID's got something on them. You know? So it's, it's, um, amazing how, uh, the response from people, and you get 5% that just are trolls and they're, you know, they just constantly go after me and threaten me and my family and they got nothing better to do with their lives, but they, they, I don't get frightened by people like that. These are sad, sad people that we have to pray for because these are people that are completely lost in their lives. And uh, I'm going to keep on fighting the good fight and um, pe- keep posting funny stuff on Twitter. And, um, you know, we we got we have to wake up. I mean, the sheep are going to be sheep. I need to wake up the lions out there, and they got to fight back and not be afraid because I get people in the set come up to me all the time and say, hey, thanks for being a voice for us. And I go, give me a voice for yourself. Why do I have to be your voice? Well, we don't want to get blacklisted like you. And I said, yeah, I got blacklisted, but I'm still doing four or five movies a year. I've shot 60-some movies since I got blacklisted, so I'm not unemployed. Yeah, Hollywood's not going to invite me to do big-budget movies anymore, but fine, that's okay with me. I, Hollywood owes me nothing. I had a great career with, with you know, seven years on Hercules 5 and Andromeda, and uh, I'm just now doing the movies that I want to do, and I'm, uh, this, is, this is my calling as far as I'm concerned. Well, you, you're, you are answering it in an amazing way, uh, if this is your calling. Kevin, by the way, wait five more years, because that would be about eight years. <laughs> you know, you have eight years in between the uh, Left Behind movies. Wait five more years, because then if you do a COVID movie, uh, you'll be able to see what the long-term effects are of all of these people who took oh the shots. We don't have the short, not, you know, right now it's short term. Go ahead. I'm not going to wait that long. 
But you're right. I mean, why have we not questioned the fact that deaths amongst people 40 years old and younger is up 800%? 800%, Nobody's questioning that? I think we're all questioning it. People are afraid to say what it could be. But when you have all these young people all of a sudden having problems with their heart, all of them, you're going, okay, maybe we should take a poll of how many people took the shots. But don't talk about that. That's, That's misinformation. And you mentioned science, which I love. If... It, it, what do you mean? People say you can't question the science. That's what science is. It's always questioning. So I thought that was so hilarious, the hypocrisy of people attacking me, saying, you have to follow the science. And another thing that blows me away <laughs> is that people in the left are listening to the government. They're the ones who just say, hey, man, don't listen to the man. You know? <laughs> now they're the ones just jumping in the Fauci bandwagon, uh, even though there's so much proof about what he and Gates are behind here. And uh, I think more and more of that stuff will come out. And it, it, so far it has been. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, when Dr. Fauci says, if you question me, you're questioning science because I am science. That tells oh, you all God. you need to know, especially, like I yeah. said, about the, uh, you know, the worshiping thereof. Kevin yeah, Sorbo, they- the director, the star of, um, Left Behind Rise of the Antichrist. Look for this on the web. Uh, go to the uh, website, leftbehindmovie.com, buy your tickets, watch the trailer, see if you drew the same conclusion I did, and then find out if you were right when you watched the film. Uh, but this is an incredible, uh, uh film, and, uh, I think the entire series is so important important for so many. Kevin, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Continued success to you, sir. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You got it. That's Kevin Sorbo. It's 1056. We'll take a time out on AM 1420 The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools, and our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward, hour three already. Been a very fast show. Jim Jordan joined us in hour number one. If you missed it, Kevin Sorbo, actor and director, left behind the rise of the Antichrist is uh, his latest movie. It's online at uh, leftbehindmovie.com. Uh, he joined us last hour. Really, really great conversations. If you missed them, check them out at the web page on the uh, podcast page at whkradio.com. So it is a Monday. It is the 16th morning of the first month year of our Lord, 2023. I do want to continue to talk about where this country is right now in race relations because it is Martin Luther King Day. Uh, but first, I want to take a phone call from Chuck, who's waiting patiently in North Ridgeville to talk about the Kevin Sorbo conversation. Hey, Chuck, go right ahead, sir. Bob, great show today, and you know as always. But that interview with Kevin Sorbo was excellent. It was very conversational. He's just a... Uh, 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 a very unrecognized talent. He's prolific and he's very good. And I have a lot of his stuff on DVD. 
Um, but uh, it, it, uh, it was nice hearing from him. You know, I don't know how you're getting all, all these people on your show lately. You must be getting famous. <laughs> well, you know, like he said, you know, and, and I didn't take offense to this when he said, you know, I don't have a multi-million dollar advertising budget the way the big uh, Hollywood blockbusters do, so I've got to go on local radio programs and tell people, you know, uh, you know, uh, city by city, and I'm happy to do that with him. But to your point about how conversational it was, he's a very, very good guy, uh, and he really is a man of faith. It's one of the reasons I ask so many of those questions. You've seen his movies, God is Not Dead, and so forth. But what I, what I really think about when I talk to somebody like Kevin Sorbo, and I ask him, you know, whether or not Hollywood kind of uh, shuts him down and, you know, if it's difficult to get funding because of the kind of movies he wants to make and the fact that he's a, you know, political, conservative, Christian, and those kinds of things, and... Uh, and he said, well, you know, it's nice that I, 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 I have seven years of Hercules under my belt and five years of Andromeda. You know, I've made my money. Now I can do the kind of films I want. And it's true. And I get that. And I love that he's very upfront about that. I think about the filmmakers like him who don't have that who don't have the bankroll already from some 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 work that was done maybe before they kind of came out and started discussing their religious or political views who don't get a chance and who do get shut down by Hollywood studios. They may have a great story. They may have a great film in the making, a great screenplay. And I got people saying, yeah, no, we're not making this because they don't like the political or the religious statement that those films make. So I feel bad for the Kevin Sorbos out there who don't have the Kevin Sorbo, uh, you know, ability to say, hey, if they don't like my film, no big deal. I'm, I've, I've, already, I've already made my mark in Hollywood. And you're right, it's not just him. Ron Silver, Gary Sinise, there's the whole, you know, bunch of them, you know, that get the big red X, and it's and they call us bigots, okay? Yeah, they do. Uh, Gary Sinise isn't one of those, though, by the way, because to my understanding, I, I heard an interview with him not too terribly long ago. I want to say maybe in the fall. You know, he's choosing not to make movies anymore. He has really dedicated himself to philanthropy and, um, you know, toward, of course, wounded veterans. He is such a huge, huge supporter of our, of our, uh, I think his, I think he's Wounded Warrior Project. There's a lot of great of organizations like that. I think that's his. But he makes, uh, he's made it his kind of his new life's mission to kind of work to help people and to help in particular those who, uh, are injured, wounded, or, um, you know, or worse, helping the families of uh, of our of our you know troops and that sort of thing. And I I think he is basic because he's the kind of guy he's so well known after Forrest Gump and so many other you know right. Apollo thirteen. He could probably be in anything he wanted to be. I think he's choosing to uh, to not engage in filmmaking anymore. It's not he's not one who's been quote unquote red X'd. You know what I mean? Well, that's good news because I know he's very active in other uh, yeah uh, yeah like philanthropies and things yeah. like that. But it just shows the quality of people on our side. You know, you know, the more Christian you are, the more you get uh, blackballed. Yeah, so, it's true. The more Christian you know. and more conservative you are, especially if you wear it on your sleeve. You know, Kevin said, I don't wear it on my sleeve, but he kind of does through his films. You know, and, and that's probably one of the reasons why it's hard for him to get all the funding and get a lot of people wanting to put their, you know, if you're part of left-wing Hollywood, to put your dollars behind to push a message that you don't necessarily agree with. Um, you know, that's, you know, but, but if you are, if you're a conservative and, and particularly if you're a conservative Christian, uh, let's not say that others don't get impacted, but if you are a conservative Christian, you got a long way to go before you can get the funding and the, and the, and the, uh, resources, you know, to get a studio to make a film like Kevin Sorbo does. And, uh, you know, I'm just well, glad that he does what he does. And, the good work. Yeah, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see if I can find, uh, 
Gary Sinise's statement about that, Gary Sinise uh, on why he's not doing movies anymore, Um, because uh, it kind of matters. Uh, It kind of matters based on the conversation we just had. I asked Kevin Sorbo, you know, about, because he said, as he pointed out, he got canceled on Facebook for telling the truth about the COVID jabs, uh, otherwise known as the poison darts. And um, he just brought it up again. He said, "You know, the number of people under forty who have who have dropped over dead uh, is is up like some eight hundred percent." And I don't know if he meant from prior to twenty twenty or whatever that that metric was, but he's not afraid to say things, and he's not afraid to be canceled. He has been canceled. Others might not necessarily have that ability because they haven't had that uh, success that he had early on. But uh, but Gary Sinise, like I said, I believe he said. Uh, that he is just not doing movies anymore. He's not interested because his uh, his life has taken a new path now, and that is working with veterans and helping them and so forth. He's a true, a true uh, Christian and a true hero, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Now, having said that, I'm going to go back to the point I made at the top of the show today, and the point I made at the top of hour number two as well, and that is, uh, the dream is dead. It's Martin Luther King Day, 2023. We pay tribute to. Uh, the legacy and the dream and the goal and the work and the sacrifice put in for civil rights and for equality for all races in this country that Dr. Ring, uh, Dr. King did and that he represents. And I said it before and I'll say it again now. The, really, the only people who can pay tribute to that are modern-day conservatives or moderates who do not buy into the left's narrative on race and race theory. And that is the belief that you have to be anti-racist, not just not be a racist. You have to be anti-racist, which is literally racism. Anti-racism means you have to hold white people of today accountable for the sins of white people in the past. And you have to look at black people today as victims just in the same way they were victimized during slavery or during Jim Crow uh, or the pre-civil rights era during segregation and so forth. That is literally the new goal. So the goal is not colorblindness, as Dr. King uh, declared that he wanted. He wanted a country, he dreamt of a country in which uh, his children would be judged not by the color of their skin, but uh, by the content of their character. Um, You know, that dream is dead. It seems as though the American left listens to Dr. King's speech, and when they hear it, they hear this. I have a dream. My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the content of their character, but by the color of their skin. I have a dream. Now, that is obviously edited. I edited it that way to make a point, because that's what American leftists, particularly racist, white American leftists, hear. They think when they celebrate Dr. King that they're celebrating something that divides us along racial lines rather than unites. That's what they hear, and that's not what it's about. So I wanted to follow that up with a couple of quick stories. And one of them is a good story. At Penn State University, headline in Newsweek from six days ago, Penn State takes a step back from the moral panic about racism. And this is a very, very important article that I want to share a little bit of. In the aftermath of George Floyd in summer summer of 2020, mass demonstrations, violent riots, blah, 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 Black Lives Matter, essentially completed its takeover of America's institutions. 
No sector of society was more affected than academia, where uh, supporters of intersectional ideology and critical race theory had already largely captured administrators. But one institution of higher learning has taken a tentative but crucial step back away from the woke promises that it made at the height of the BLM moral panic. In an attempt to preserve their liberal bona fides uh, after the summer of demonstrations and riots, Penn State State agreed, like numerous other universities, to create an institute dedicated to anti-racism. It would be, in the words of Boston University Institute leader and leading critical race theory ideologue Ibram X. Kendi, it would dedicate itself to building a world where racial equity and social justice prevail, and it would do so by imposing a racial prism over every issue and person. Rejecting the goal of a colorblind society, which is Dr. King's goal, right? In favor of an eternal race, racial struggle, clearly antithetical to justice or racial harmony. But after Penn State got a new president, it canceled the project. Though the new president included a pledge of fealty to the BLM agenda in her statement and said it would be more impactful to direct uh, the funds toward existing efforts, the campus left erupted with anger over the decision. As a recent Washington Post article made clear, many CRT advocates are concerned that the Penn State decision could represent a turning point in the battle and encourage other universities to begin resisting BLM demands. And if you don't know what BLM demands include, it is just full-on um, accedence to, to Marxism. That's what it is. It's Marxism. In 2020, those in charge of institutions of higher learning consistently acquiesced to demands made in the name of racial justice or anti-racism. Rare is the college that hasn't adopted the D.I.E. mantra. Most have installed a cadre of woke commissioners and commissars whose job is to enforce adherence to D.I.E. But the fate of the proposed Penn State Center for Racial Justice illustrates that the discussion about the anti-racist curricula and initiatives is no longer one-sided. An anonymously written document was circulated among university trustees in 2021, raising questions about whether the university should be explicitly endorsing critical race theory. Although the document expressed support for anti-racist scholarship, it also asked whether teaching America's exceptionalism remains a core objective at Penn State. The answer to that question, at schools where anti-racism now reigns, is no. CRT seeks to rewrite American history, asserting that the United States was born in prejudice and remains governed by structural, structural and institutional racism. In that way, CRT advocates are able to dismiss the enormous progress made against racism since the triumph of the civil rights movement in the 1960s. They also label any questioning of their efforts, like the board document, as being inherently racist. Anti-racism claims that race and so-called white privilege pervade society in ways that cannot be overcome by traditional liberal approach, which views all people as individuals and judges them on their own merits. Did that sound familiar, by the way? Yeah, it should, because that's what Dr. King wanted. Judging people on their own merits. Instead, everyone must be indoctrinated in race consciousness as part of a never-ending struggle. The emphasis on privilege ignores other factors, like income inequality. CRT is a race-based doctrine which portrays poor whites as privileged and wealthy people of color as underprivileged or victims. 
the compulsion to categorize everyone, including racial, ethnic, and religious minorities, as members of the favored victim class or the unfavored oppressor class creates anomalies, such as the assumption that Jews are all white and privileged. That's a worldview that has granted DIE-driven college administrators a permission slip for anti-Semitism. Any school where equity and its implied denunciation of equality and colorblindness are not merely unattainable but undesirable rules and which interprets conservative ideas and American exceptionalism as inherently racist may be incapable of reform. It's possible, therefore, that Penn State's decision was motivated by a belief that racial institutes will reinterpret their school's past decisions as racist and call for reparations of some sort. Still, even the smallest victories against CRT indoctrination, especially at the university level, where leftist ideologues believe they can go unchallenged, should be celebrated. That's why I'm doing it right now. That's why I'm sharing this story about Penn State, because we do. Small victories should be celebrated in the off chance that some people hear the celebration and say, yeah, maybe now I've got the guts to do the same at my university, at our university, that we can grow this movement. College trustees must understand that uh, anti-racism is a full employment program for leftist academics who have little to offer students but woke doctrines and do nothing to advance justice. They may become wary of extending patronage to a growing body of pseudo-scholars and DIE administrators bent on imposing thinly disguised racial quotas. And by the way, there's an update on that story as well, racial quotas at Harvard. I can talk about it in a minute. Any effort aimed at ridding schools of this fashionable scam may be doomed to failure at this point, but what happened at Penn State and the ability of its president to so far withstand leftist protests is a sign that even in the academy... There is a growing understanding of the deleterious impact of CRT and BLM. If Penn State can roll back one anti-racist shakedown, it's possible for other universities to follow in its footsteps. And for the sake of all these schools and their students, let's hope they do. That piece ran in Newsweek, written by Jonathan Tobin of The Federalist. Hugely important, and I hope it's one that, like I said, gives us a little bit of hope on MLK Day that may be a teeny tiny step toward the dream of colorblindness, maybe was taken by a major um, in a major university, Penn State University. So uh, if you've got thoughts on that, I'd love to hear from you. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. This is Always Right Radio on AM1420, The Answer. Okay, 11.28, moving toward the 11.30 news, but before we get there, let's go here. Dave in Cleveland is up on AM1420, The Answer. Hi, Dave. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Yeah, hi, Bob. Um, yeah, regarding um, Martin Luther, Reverend Martin Luther King Day, mm-hmm. um, you notice a lot of these sculptures, that they don't even they don't have no meaning at all, and I don't understand why they have that, that pledge from uh, Martin Luther King that he made everyone, it was called a nonviolence pledge. That everyone that marched had a sign before they could they could march, right? And it, it, you never even see it anywhere. Never even see it in the papers, the the public library, anywhere. That's a great and, point. Uh, they're, they're powerful. 
That's a great point. That's a great point. Today, you'd never get a signature on those. When people protest, they want to protest, and they want to attack, and they want to smash, and they want to grab, and all of those kind of things, particularly if it's in some sort of a racial issue or a racial protest, as we saw in 2020. Nobody would sign such a thing today. Yeah, if you take if you take one of them, you know, uh, one of his law, one of the rules, they were com- actually commandments they had to sign, mm-hmm. and one of them, like, number eight was refrain from violence of fist, tongue, or heart. Number, uh, another one was, uh, the, remember always the nonviolent, this was number two, remember all the, always the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Yeah, no, yeah, was, I'm glad you brought reason, it up. I'm glad you brought it up. If they, if they truly want to honor Martin Luther King on MLK Day today and every day, his life, and thanks for the call, Dave. If they want to honor that, uh, in modern day America, and continue to keep the quote-unquote dream alive or the legacy alive, they would post that. You would see that in more places. You would pay attention to that and ask people to follow that very same model. Because that is exactly right. The fight for civil rights is supposed to be a peaceful one. That's what Dr. King stood for. It's why he's continued to be revered as he is by blacks and whites today. Well, except for leftists who don't believe in anything he had to say. All right, 1130 News Time. Right back on Always Right Radio AM 1420 The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Alrighty then. I was gonna, uh, I was gonna follow up on the call from Dave, you know, about the MLK uh, pledge, and they made all of his marchers sign, you know, pledge for, of nonviolence and its ten principles. But I may have to set that aside now. I can't, st- I can't not laugh at this. This just crossed my screen. You know, I get uh, updates from various news sources on the notifications on my phone, and this one just crossed my phone. San Francisco Reparations Committee proposes $5 million to each black resident if they are longtime residents, along with total debt forgiveness. They propose supplementing lower income recipients' income for 250 years. (laughs) Boy, nothing says equality. And nothing says unity like telling white people to keep working, keep paying your taxes as we give it all away to black people who never were enslaved, despite the fact that you never enslaved anybody. And oh, by the way, also in spite of the fact that in the transatlantic slave trade, there were black slave owners and there were black slave traders as well. Do the descendants of black slave owners and black slave traders, do they get $5 million each? Or do they have to pay taxes and give $5 million each because they participated in it? That city, you know, I, I here's my belief. Here's my belief, and it's a weird, that this, I guess it's not weird that this is happening today on MLK Day because this is not something that MLK, I believe, would ever, ever have agreed to. He just wants and wanted, uh, as do his uh, 
supporters opportunities, not handouts, not free stuff, opportunities. But having said that, um, I, I, I look at stories like this, and first of all, it makes me realize exactly how far away, and I think I said it earlier in the program, uh, we're never going to get to. I think the dream is dead. The dream of racial unity and racial harmony and holding hand in hand and so on and so forth. But the reality of slavery, the evil for which the United States has long atoned, they have long made right debts in the form of blood and lives and treasure uh, that have been paid many, many times over, in which we now have in a very different type of world everybody with an equal opportunity. Um, th- th- this kind of this kind of nonsense is, is hard to it's hard to quantify really, but. The idea of slavery is completely misunderstood by so many. I guarantee you, if you were to ask a thousand millennials and Gen Zers, the younger people in our in our country, if you were to ask them who held slaves and who did not hold slaves um, in the history of the world, the only thing they could tell you is that white people in America owned slaves and black people were enslaved. That's the only thing they would ever say. They have no idea about the Egyptians enslaving the Israelites. They have no idea about the slave trade that not only went on, uh, but continues to go on in China, that happened in uh, 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 Middle Eastern countries, and continues to in many forms. They have no idea the Greeks, the the Roman Empire, People of every color, it wasn't about color, it was about nationality, it was about conquered people in wars, people being taken simply because of battles for land, and now you, we, we took your land, now you're my slave. People think that the only slave trading and the only slavery that happened in the world was American slavery when the, when the country was founded and uh, when it was colonized. And, and that black, black Africans were captured by white people in, in African cultures and brought, brought across the Atlantic and, and enslaved here. I strongly urge you, if you want to just kind of chuckle at this kind of nonsense from San Francisco and the idea of these reparations, you want to learn a little bit more about slavery and share this with the closed-minded and closed-eyed uh, millennial or Gen Zer near you. Go to PragerU.com and search slavery. And among the many, many videos, you're going to find many, many videos on slavery and the truth about slavery and what uh, it is. It's, hist- it's, hist- it's uh, historical foundations. It's historical use. It's erosion and elimination by free countries like the United States, like Great Britain, and its current practices today. You'll learn so much. You can educate yourself so much with a simple PragerU video. U video uh, if you just search in the little search bar for slavery or historical slavery or modern slavery or whatever it is that you want to look for. But you'll learn a little bit more, and then you'll look at stories like this, and you'll laugh as, uh, as much as I did. And I really had to get that under control here because I do want to wrap, with, uh, wrap up the show with the uh, Ten Commandments, if you will, or the Ten Principles that the last caller brought up on Martin Luther King Day. In celebration of his uh, legacy and his nonviolent approach to advancing civil rights, I'm going to share those. This Pledge of Nonviolence was written by MLK Jr. and signed by his marchers in 1963, exactly as the last caller pointed out. One, 
As you prepare to march, meditate on the life and teachings of Jesus. Two, remember the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Three, walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Four, pray daily to be used, uh, to be used by God that all men and women might be free. Five, sacrifice personal wishes that all might be free. Six, observe with friend and foes the ordinary rules of courtesy. Seven, perform regular service for others and the world. Eight, refrain from violence of fist, tongue, and heart. Nine, strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. Ten, follow the directions of the movement leaders and the captains on demonstrations. If that isn't the best message to leave you with today on MLK Day, then I don't know what is. I don't know any person, man or woman, white or black, any other ethnicity, any other culture that would disagree or could disagree with those ten principles. They should all be followed, whether you're striving for equal rights or anything else or justice of any kind. That's what it's all about, and it's what the left is working very, very hard to crush. Thanks so much for being a part of the show today. Thanks to my guests. Thanks to my team. Thanks to you. I'm not done, though. I'm back at 3 o'clock hosting for Sebastian Gorka. Join me then and tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.